0: This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys. By I'm told,
1: a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-By-Play Cast, Todd Bodette. Wait, the Motel 6 guy?
0: We'll leave the light on for you.
1: No, Joel Godette.
0: Joe Godette.
1: Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, Joel. with L.
0: Okay, Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway.
1: Welcome back inside the pod, everybody. My name is Joel Godet, and this is Play-By-Play Cast. Of course, the podcast about Play-By-Play broadcasters for Play-By-Play broadcasters, hosted by a Play-By-Play broadcaster. If you'd like to get in touch with the program, as always, housekeeping right off the top, uh, you can find us on Twitter at PXPCast. You can find me on Twitter at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or you can hit me up via email as well. I'm at J-G-O-D-E-T-T, Jgodet, at B-S-U E-D-U. Something a little bit different on the podcast today because we don't have a play-by-play announcer for you. We have instead an analyst, and this is something I've been wanting to do uh, for some time now because we talk a lot about the perspectives of working with an analyst, obviously from the play-by-play side of things, uh, on the podcast. I think the first time this is an idea really kind of dawned on me, Uh, and you've got to go back, I don't know off the top of my head, 20 episodes or something. Uh, We had Chris Carino on, the radio voice of the Brooklyn Nets, and we did a lot of discussing his interactions and his relationship with his analyst, Tim Capstraw. And that episode in particular we do it on a lot of episodes, but that episode in particular kind of got my gears churning about uh, working with an analyst, uh, how to better your relationship working with, an, uh, working with an analyst, how to get the most out of your analyst, how to set them up to be most successful, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And we did that with Steve Jones as well uh, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I think last week. We did that with Steve Jones from, from Penn State as well. So I wanted to get the analyst's perspective, because I thought that would be interesting. What makes you better? How does a play-by-play guy help make you better? Um, What makes a great play-by-play guy from your vantage point? All of those questions um, and perspectives from the guy that sits next to us, usually. So to do that, I figured who better to go to than one of the best guys out there, especially with college basketball season, coming uh, right around the corner. We're a month away from college basketball tip-off. So Jay Billis from ESPN is our guest today. Jay, of course, has been uh, one of the lead, if not the lead announcers, uh, color commentators for ESPN uh, for some time now. He's been with the company since 1995. Uh, He started in radio, was uh, on radio with Bob Harris, friend of the pod, uh, at Duke in 1993, uh, and then, of course, has done some CBS Uh, work as well with the NCAA tournament and worked with Dick Enberg and we'll talk uh, extensively about uh, his games with Dick Enberg and looking up to guys like that and other guys that he's worked with on the podcast so without further ado because you did not come here to hear me ramble you came here to hear Jay Billis uh, break down his side of things on a broadcast we dive right into it today this is play by Playcast, and our guest is Jay Billis
0: well, I don't really remember where I got the bug. I, I mean, I think I I had always thought it would be a fun thing to do after I was finished playing, and and I always had an interest in it. Uh, so I started working. You know, when I when I told some of the coaches that were recruiting me when I was coming out of high school that I was interested in it, uh, a few of them actually put me in touch with uh, some of their alums that were uh, influential in broadcasting, and I got a I got a couple of. A jobs as a production assistant i was basically a runner while i was in school in college uh during the summertime so i'd work uh you know i worked for abc sports and i worked the olympics in, in la and where i'm from and monday night baseball and uh the pga championship uh, in golf in 1983 stuff like that And i kind of learned the business and that's where it um and i learned the business from behind the camera uh to the extent you can as a production assistant and i, I really liked it and i thought it would be something i'd like to pursue
1: how would you get good at it to the point where, I mean, what was kind of your study of I'm going to take this seriously and, you know, I, if I'm going to take it seriously, here, here's what I've got to do to 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 do that?
0: I don't know that. Well, first, I don't know that I am good at it, but I don't <laughs> I, I don't know that I did any any type of training for it, except in other ways. I I, I took, uh, based on my mom's urging, I took a bunch of forensics and public speaking courses when I was in high school and, uh, and I did some, some drama training when I was in high school, um, at my, again, at my, my mom's urging. And then I think law school actually helped me quite a bit in the practice of law where you had to stand up in front of a, a judge or a jury or, uh, an appeals panel. Uh, and it allowed me to think on my feet and I had to, had to deal with some complex issues, uh, without a whole lot of, uh, uh, without a whole lot of time to, to be able to, to spit it out. So I had to be efficient. And and then I started working in radio when I first uh, uh, got out of law school. And I think radio was really good training ground because uh, you have to paint a picture in radio that, you, that people can't obviously see. So the play by play person takes the lead. But you, you certainly have to have some economy with words to get your point across. And I think that was uh, that was very helpful before I got into television.
1: Give me the perspective from your seat, uh, because on this podcast, we obviously talk to a lot of people that, that sit next to you, um, but what's it like for you in terms of the, the play-by-play analyst relationship in terms of uh, what makes a good one and uh, uh, what goes into creating that relationship long-term?
0: Well, I think what makes a, a great play-by-play person is the ability to set the scene. And I've worked with... Uh, with the best uh, you know, I've worked with with Sean McDonough and, and Dan Schulman and uh, Dick Enberg and Brent Musburger and Mike Tirico and um, You know, you, you Dave O'Brien you name it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm leaving people out. I know but uh, I think their ability to uh, capture the moment not only provide information but to to set uh, set the scene at every turn and then I the, the people I've worked with have been so uh, selfless in in helping me uh, do what I do best and so I think they're able to sort of set you up to uh, to be able to shine with, with whatever knowledge you can bring or whatever you can add and um, you know I think the, the they're great teammates I mean the, the, the all the people I mentioned and and, and all the folks I, I have the, the the privilege to work with have done such a great job of that but you know really for a play by for a, 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 an analyst you know sits beside the play-by-play the play person um, I think one of the things I've always been proudest of and Bill Raftery, uh and I uh, talked about this after that six overtime game we sure. did with with uh, with UConn and and Syracuse back in the day was that we didn't get in Sean McDonough's way when it was time to call the big moment. Um, You know, we were, we were there to analyze certain things and add what we could, but it was Sean that, that needed to to handle every big moment. And he did. And we were really proud uh, not only of Sean, but we were proud of ourselves for staying out of his way. Because, uh, you know, when you, when you look back on those, Uh, highlights uh, when people put packages together on that amazing game um, we're pretty pleased that all you hear is Sean and and you know we thought that's the way it should be
1: if I can go back to one of the things you said off the beginning of that in terms of uh, the people that you work with helping make you better um, and helping set you up uh, so that you can do the job the best that that you want to and that you can uh, what's the key to that from your vantage point? How do, how do you feel best set up, and, and what do you think draws um, or creates the best opportunity for the person in your chair to do what they do?
0: Well, I think you have to have a feel. You not only have to be prepared, but you have to have a feel for, for what's going on. And the fact that, and I think this has been a, a somewhat of a struggle for me over the years, is uh, you know you don't have to analyze every play. And in every dribble um, there, people are not tuning into a clinic. They're tuning in to watch a game. And, you know, I, I try to put myself in the position of the basketball fan who may be like me as a football fan. Like, I, I, I love football, but I don't know truthfully that much about it. I'm just a casual football fan that, that knows, you know, like every red blooded American that watches football. I know just enough to be dangerous. You know, I'm not I'm not out there like John Gruden you know, calling out, you know, when they're in, uh, you know, cover two and, and all that stuff. I don't know all that. Um, but when it's explained to me from time to time, I find it really interesting, but I'm not dying lousy on every play to, to know, did they just run spider wide banana three? I don't, I don't know that stuff nor care. Um, and so I try to keep that in mind that while I probably know more about basketball than the average Joe Um, I don't want to bludgeon them to death with uh, with clinic, you know, clinic discussion on every play. And so I think for a play by play person, you know, kind of opening you up to allow you to do some of that X and O stuff when it's appropriate. And then other times where where you're just two people kind of talking about a game so that other people can hopefully enhance their enjoyment of it. That's really the goal is to help to help a a viewer. Uh, sort of enjoy or enhance the viewing the, their viewing experience and and so I, I, you, you always try to keep that in mind that, that you're doing the game for the fan you know you're not doing it to, to show how much you know if that makes sense.
1: Are you, are you more of a I guess that being said are you more of a conversationalist or I mean are you do you want to be asked direct questions in terms of pointing things out or do you just want to be two guys at a bar watching a game if that makes sense?
0: I'd like to be two people at a bar watching a game but um but if if my partner wants to know something i want to be asked the question um and i think i think the all the broadcast partners i've had have been so good at you know if if i say something that that maybe they want clarification on or more information on all of them will ask but they also have a great feel for for knowing you know, they may know the answer, but you know, they may hear me say something and say, you know what, he needs to explain that better so that that somebody at home understands it. So they may ask a question, uh, uh, you know, for the benefit of the viewer, if that makes makes sense. Sure. And I I know that happens because uh, uh you know Dan Showman, Sean McDonough, they always do that, and uh, and it's I think it's really helpful. And those guys all all the people I've mentioned and, and others have such a great feel for. Feel for the game and feel for the broadcast. I mean, they're consummate pros, and, and they're great teammates. I mean, that's really what I think what it winds up being about is, you know, you call each other colleagues in, in different businesses, so they're my colleagues, but the truth is they're my teammates. And, you know, in any sport, and any endeavor, you're going to try to do the best you can to make sure that you do your job and help a, help a teammate do his or hers. Have
1: you ever gotten a question you didn't know what to do with, and you're just kind of live on television? And trying to figure out where to go.
0: No, I mean, if I if I did, I just say I don't know. I just answer it because um, I mean, I, I think, <laughs> you know, there are times there may be times you don't know. I mean, I think sometimes you're you're asked, you know, what what's going to happen here? And heck, you know, with all the film you watch, <laughs> you don't know exactly what's going to happen, you know. But you can lay out the options and maybe, hey, here's what they've run before. Here's what they may look for. Um, the the that's the hardest question is to try to be try to be a predictor of what's going to happen um you know sometimes you know sometimes sometimes you don't and then it's just when you know it's just a question of will they execute it and other times you know teams scout really well they're trying to run something different to keep people off balance and all that stuff but um yeah that's usually the question that that uh you know in the late game situation when there's a timeout, you know when somebody asks okay what's going to happen what do you expect here
1: is there a better way to address that? Because I mean, th- that's the that's. I mean, I feel like anytime I go into a timeout, the automatic crutch is I, m- My partner's David. I look at him. I go, well, well you know, Dave, what do you do here? Uh, is there a is there a better way to set somebody up for that so that you don't just walk into that every time?
0: Probably not. You know, just because it's a hard, it's the, the hardest question doesn't mean it's not the right question to ask. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't know is not a bad answer there, Uh, because if you if you don't, but usually in the course of a game, you know where the ball uh, should go and uh, just like in a football game or. Uh, you know, baseball game, an analyst may have a, a good idea where the pitcher wants to throw this pitch or something like that, or the pitch the batter may be looking for, but it doesn't mean you know what's going to be thrown every time. I mean, heck, if you knew that, we'd probably be we'd probably be coaching. And and even, you know, the truth is, even the coaches don't know what's coming. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, like that's another thing where you want to balance. Um, like if you can point something out and say, hey, here's something they've done in the past. Uh, or if I see usually the, the times when I've been you know good at predicting something is when you see an alignment that you know they've run before and you can say, hey, they usually run this to get this result. But most of the plays and actions that are run uh, in in a in a college game are, are there are multiple multiple action plays. And so they're not just looking for one thing, and they're they're kind of read option uh, to borrow something for football, kind of read option type of plays where take one thing away, they've got another option to counter it, and uh, and he can't always. So that's another thing where, what are you going to you know bog down the broadcast by trying to you know predictively diagram an entire play? First of all, you don't have time, and second of all, it, you're probably not going to. Uh, get through to too many people and it might be might be that's one of those situations where it might be overkill.
1: How do you prep um, and how do you prep in conjunction with who you work with in terms of how much of you know how much of what Sean knows do you want to know how much of what you know does he want to know um, or is it sometimes better off if you don't know
0: no, I think it's always better off if, if you, you know, when Sean and I work together, same thing with, with Dan Shulman and all the others. We're usually together at practices and, and, uh, and workouts and all that. Um, you know, we, we have different roles, obviously. So the play-by-play person may have uh, a story that I didn't have uh, or have some background that maybe I didn't have uh, because I'm, I'm concentrating on some other things. It's usually true that I'm going to have more uh, sort of basketball related stuff than, uh, you know, straight X and O stuff or things like that. Now, I I bring, uh, you know, kind of a lot of background knowledge from my years doing this. Um, that sometimes some you know sometimes uh, something will stick out to me that I've had for a while and I may I may use and uh, same thing with uh, with a play by play person they may have some background stuff that you haven't heard yet we don't use everything we have in every game so something you may you may learn about a team in, in early in the season you may not use till later in the season or, or about a player um, but uh, you know I, I don't ever try to surprise uh, any, you know, any partner of mine, it's not, it's not that. Um, but, uh, you know, there are, there are times when you'll say something, but, but usually, usually, uh, you know, you kind of have a feel for, you know what, that, that's more a story. That's more a story that's uh, for Sean. And I'll give you, you know, I'll give you an example. Like for when, when, uh, when Sean McDonough and Bill Raffery and I were working together, we had a three man, three man booth. Um, it, it's, you know, those can be really difficult because everybody has to make sacrifices. And with those three guys or, or th- th- that particular three guys, there was no sacrifice that I ever felt like I was making. I can't speak for the other two, but it was such a pleasure to be with those guys. It didn't matter that, you know, I maybe the game wasn't done the way I would do it if I were the sole analyst or it wasn't done the way Raftery would do it if he were the sole analyst. We each made uh, we each made sacrifices for the others. So if there was a, a steal and a, and, a, and a great dunk, I didn't have to worry about that. I let Bill take that, you know, and he could he could, uh, you know, send it in and do all the gr- amazing stuff he does. And oftentimes if there was a, an X and O point, I would take it. Not because Bill doesn't do that. He does that as well as anyone who's ever done. It. I, I happen to believe he's the best that's ever done this. Um, but it, we kind of developed like some go-to roles and it didn't mean that, that one or the other didn't take it from time to time. Uh, but we kind of had a rhythm going and Sean was the storyteller. So I, you know, Bill nor I would get up and, and tell some background story about a, a kid and his family. Sean was the the master of that. We could never even approach him. So we, we never, we never ventured there. And so it was, it was three people who had a very sort of defined, uh, idea of what we were good at, and we also knew what what the our, our, our colleagues' our teammates' strengths were, and we played to those, and it worked out it worked out really well. And the fact that you know all of us are, are are certainly healthy egoed individuals, but we didn't let that ever get in the way of uh, of the sort of the team, and uh, and that's why I think that worked so well. You know, Saya so and the last component was we're we're all such great friends. It was just that was that was the ultimate of sitting at a game watching with your friends. Um, and I, I, so many people have told us uh, individually and together that that's the way it felt to them, and that was a really gratifying compliment to get.
1: How long does it take to figure that flow out? To I mean, obviously to get that's the the pinnacle, but to get to a point where you're comfortable working with somebody. <sighs>
0: Uh, I've, I've never been uncomfortable working with, with someone. Um, there have been times when, uh, when you could tell it, it it clicked. I mean, with Raftery McDonough clicked the first game for me. Um, they're probably wondering when it, when it was going to click, you know, with me, but, um, uh, you know, it was really fast with Dan Shulman and, um, and with Dave O'Brien and, and Brent Musburger, all these guys, Mike Tarico. Um, it, it was, a an amazing, uh, it's, a, they've all been amazing partnerships and, you know, working with Reese Davis, like I've never worked with anybody as good as Reese Davis in the studio and doing games with them is a, is a pleasure. Um, you know, I, I, but there's, there's almost nobody. I can't think of anybody. I wouldn't say that about as far as it being a, being a pleasure, everybody's different. So it's a different experience each time. And it's a, maybe a different rhythm. Um, but, uh, but. I think when, when you go into the game um, thinking about, well, le, let me make sure I stay out of the play-by-play person's way uh, when, it's, when it's that position's time to do something. Uh, as, long as, as long as you're mindful of staying in your lane, I don't think you're ever going to have too much of a problem.
1: What's your communication system like in-game? Um, how much are you talking in breaks in terms of direction, in terms of thoughts, or, you know, like, hey, Dan, I saw this, I want to go in this direction. And I'm sure there's parts where you're communicating in in the truck with that, too. But um, how much of that goes on and and course kind of changes and corrections go as as a broadcast evolves?
0: It really depends on the game. A lot of times we're trying to uh, make sure during the course of the game that we're uh, comfortable and things are... Uh, going the way we want, like Dan Shulman. It, it seems like every couple of breaks, he'll say, "Everything good? You getting in enough? Everything all right?" And I'll always joke by saying, "I'm never getting in enough, Dan. Like <laughs> you're you're totally freezing me out." And we, we have this kind of running joke where we'll say, uh, "You know, are, I, I I can't remember which one of us asked that question uh, or this question, but uh, one broadcast many years ago, one of us said." are we missing anything and the response was well how would we know i mean if we're, if we're the ones missing it how would we know if we're missing it um you know how could we identify it but uh so we've always had a laugh about that but we're always thinking about um you know are we are we doing this the right way and are we we striking the right tone and you know i've always felt like in at least in my job that uh, in my position as an analyst like my job is to say the right thing at the right time in the right tone And I try to be mindful of of that third component of tone, because you can say the right thing at the right time. And if it's not in the right tone, it's misunderstood. And I I used to have this, I used to say this all the time. And when I stopped saying it, I stopped using it as a a rationalization. But I, I used to say, you know, sort of, I'm responsible for what I say, not what you hear. And, and then I stop saying that because if I say something in a manner that you misunderstand it, then that's on me. Um, you know, I, I, it has to be within reason. I mean, if you unreasonably, you know, take something I say out of context or decide, you know, not to process it in a normal way, um, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but, um, I'm always thinking about that. Like, am I saying the right thing? Am I saying it at the right time? And am I saying it in the right tone? As long as I cover those three bases, uh, uh, I think uh, I think I'm usually going to be okay.
1: I'm curious about kind of what you're what you're saying in particular too. And this go, we touched on it a little bit, and it kind of goes back to probably should have asked it off the top. Um, but when you're sitting down, and, and we talked about the being analytical and, and X's and O's, and, and kind of how you can approach it and, and get into too much or not enough, and, and the lanes that you want to be in. Um, but what's what is perfect analysis to you in terms of? I, I mean, are you just What's what's right? I mean, kind of what's the right bowl of porridge for you when you're looking at everything?
0: That's a good uh, sort of a good metaphor to use because, you know, what's, what's uh, just right? You know, what's too, too much, too little? What's just right? And there are some times when you don't have to say anything and maybe that's the perfect commentary. You know, there are other times where, where it requires explanation. There are other times where it requires for you to make commentary that goes beyond what you see on the floor Uh, It it all depends and that's where your feel comes in and you you asked before and I probably didn't ask the question very well or answer the question very well about My preparation like I do a a ton of preparation. I watch a lot of film I, I, I put together these really detailed scouting reports and charts but the preparation I do is is for is to fill You know my tiny brain with the information I need for the game It's not to have an agenda for the game if that makes sense so I don't know where the game's going to take us. I want to be prepared for every eventuality if I can, but what I really want to do is be confidently prepared so that I can, uh, I can just watch the game and then, and then uh, react to what I see. And that's what, that's, that's always my goal in a game, like react to what you see. And usually if I've, prepared myself properly and I'm in a good frame of mind when I start the game, if I'm healthy and all that, not bothered by anything, uh, I will, uh, I'll be able to, I'll be able to handle all that. And, you know, you may have, you may have a way of looking at the game. Like a lot of times we'll have it framed and say, okay, what's at stake and all this other stuff. And so you, you might, you might have something you're going to, you know, you think your plan before the game, we're going to focus on these things. And then the game takes you in a totally different direction. So you've got to be prepared to pivot, and, and that's where your preparation comes in because you're not, you know, I'm not wedded to some script or something. And, uh, and if I don't, you know, oftentimes in a game you may only use 10%, 20% of, of what you've prepared. Um, but so what? I mean, it doesn't matter. And you just don't know which 20% you're going to use. And I always know that, that everything I do, everything I prepare for, I will use it at some point during the course of the season. Uh, so if I don't get I don't I don't need to force anything into a game. If it doesn't fit, I'll wind up using it later. Like we've got so you know we're very fortunate uh, or at least I'm really fortunate at ESPN. we do a ton of games. I'm on television more than any human being should ever want to be. Um, so I, I'm gonna get the opportunity to say what I need to say during the course of the year. If it doesn't fit into one 40 minute game, uh, you know the world will still spin on its axis. I'm almost
1: positive. It's a journey, obviously, for all of us in terms of how we how we progress, how we get better, um, how we move up. Uh, and kind of along the lines, we always kind of think we're we're good, but we could get better. Uh, if you could go back to like, I don't know, like 33-year-old Jay Billis uh, as an analyst and say, um, you know, you're pretty good here, but these are the finer points that can help take you to that next level. What are the things that you learned uh, beyond the point where you kind of figured out that you can do this and you, you've got a handle on it, but that, that make the difference between um, kind of where you were then and where you are now.
0: It's a great question. First of all, I would have been more grateful for my hair back. Then. <laughs> um, I would have I think I would have been more mindful of, of those three things that I had mentioned before about saying the right thing at the right time and the right tone. sure and to have been uh, a little more uh, patient. Um, that you know the, you're going to have a, a long career as long as you you know stay healthy and all that. So it's not that important that you uh, swing for the fence on on your commentary. Um, and I, I do I do think that the oftentimes in these games the less that is said the better. Uh, and you know if if you go back to when at least when I was a kid I'm 53 years old now. And when I was a kid, uh, you know, Pat Summerall was like, to me, the gold standard of play by play guys. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I used to listen to uh, Chick Hearn with the Lakers, and Dick Enberg used to do UCLA games when I was a kid and and did the California Angels. And, you know, he was the gold standard, uh, as was Vince Scully doing the Dodgers. So, I got to listen to those geniuses um and and maestros when i was a kid and i think i think oftentimes the less said uh can can be the best um i think we tend and i'm the worst offender of this is you tend to over overanalyze over talk when uh when a better economy with words would uh would would be the the smarter route
1: that seems like a, a good foray to, uh, we have this conversation a lot in terms of play-by-play on this podcast with uh, differences between radio and television. You said you started in radio. Um, what are the differences you found in uh, your side of things from radio to television?
0: When when I was working with Dick Enberg, uh, he said something that I thought was, was really, really brilliant and true about radio. He said that, uh, the true, you know, the true artists are on radio that television is is really color by numbers that people can see what's happening and in, in on television and you're just you're just there to en- enhance their viewing experience. And on radio, you have to paint the entire picture. And uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was and, and I think still is, even though he just retired a uh, 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 Michelangelo and being able to paint the picture for a, a listener. When I was doing radio, uh, I was the, the uh, as I always have been, I was the color analyst. And so I really thought that my time to, to get in and, and add something was uh, after, the, after the play-by-play person, and I worked with a guy named Bob Harris, who's a legend, just retired at Duke. Oh, yeah. When the ball went through the net and, and he gave the score, before the ball got to half court, I had some time to, to add commentary. And then during free throws and maybe a, a stop action, I could say something. Other than that, it was Bob's job to paint the picture of where the ball was, you know, ball moving left to right across your radio dial. All this stuff that, that he did uh, so brilliantly. Uh, but that that was requ- a requirement. Uh, he had to he had to do that. And if I got in his way or if I tread into his time, uh, it wasn't going to hurt him it was going to hurt the listener. And so I was I, I was mindful of of my role. And then, uh, as I mentioned before, about being efficient in a short amount of time to get in what I wanted. And there were certainly times like every basket did not require me to comment on it. And uh, and that was that was helpful, I think, too, uh, uh, for me uh, when I when I moved into television.
1: When do you talk on television for for you to feel comfortable? And And that goes, I mean, through, you know, talking through baskets, talking through plays, where, you know, at the end of the day, how important is one layup when it's four nothing to, to, to punctuate a call if you're the play-by-play guy in terms of uh, creating that comfortable rapport where it sounds like two guys watching a game, but at the same time you're not, as you've talked about uh, earlier, uh, stepping on those bigger moments.
0: Well, that's a really perceptive question because I think that's the struggle that you always have: is you know, are you gonna are you gonna document every little thing in the game, or can we talk, can we have a conversational call of the game? I think there, there's, to me, there's a pretty marked difference between the way an NBA broadcast sounds and the way a college basketball broadcast sounds. Uh, the NBA, it's obviously a 48-minute game, um, and there's a lot more up and down action. You know, college is a slower game. Uh, it's got a it, we've only had a 30 second shot clock for a year now in, in men's college and the NBA has been 24 seconds. I mean, that was a 16 second. Uh, excuse me. That was a, a long difference in the way the game, you know, the game was was run. I mean, now it's just six seconds. But, um, you know, it was 11 seconds before that. And that's a lot of time. And so you're 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 dealing with uh, a lot more plays, a lot more shots. And so there were there were times where, you know, maybe if Jeff Van Gundy and, uh, and Mike Breen are doing a game, Van Gundy may be saying something and there may be two baskets in the time he's trying to trying to uh, spit a sentence out. And you never hear Mike Breen interrupt, you know, to say, hey, you know, oh, basketball LeBron James. But at the same time, if something crazy happens, something really important, you know, what story is important enough where, where you don't let the play by play take it over and document it? Um, so it's a feel, that's another feel thing, um, but I do think I do think you're right. Like the conversational part of it of two people watching a game is an important thing to to be mindful of all the time.
1: What do you do when you make that judgment in your head? Like, will you just stop if if you if you deem it like in your mind this is a big enough moment I've got to get out? Let me get out. Let whoever I'm working with get in. Um, and I guess that's probably a feel thing too, working with each other over time
0: usually you don't have to um usually the the play-by-play person's the the smartest one in the room so they'll just grab it and you don't have to worry about it um so it's not a that's not a concern and i've never been really worried about um you know if somebody uh you know you have a moment like that where you're you're talking about some story and then something happens if you have a an incident, maybe a fight starts, or some who knows what what it may be. But then you know your your little story is no longer, or anecdote is no longer you know the the, the, the top thing on the agenda. Um, it's really not that hard, and I think most people, you know, most listeners get it. You know, they're not they're not. It's not the Lincoln Douglas debates. You know, it's not <laughs> that big of a
1: deal. Uh, what makes the the great ones great uh, to you? Any of the guys that you work with? Uh, what do you think differentiates? Uh, Any one of them from I mean, there's lots of us out there that are that are trying to become them um, that that separator.
0: I don't know that. I think it's different with everyone because everybody has different strengths uh, and and different different things that they bring uh, to the table. All of them, like all of them are technically sound, uh, but some may have better pipes and uh, and and a better command of, of a moment. Uh, others may be uh, better at uh, sort of the nuts and bolts. They may be funnier. Um, you know, everybody has different strengths. I mean, but when you think about the the people that, you know, you've always enjoyed listening to, it's not that you go, oh, you know, I loved Pat Summerall because he did this one thing. It was usually a, a feel that you had for the person and uh, and what that person made you feel and. I mean, I think when you know when I th- I've mentioned Summerall a couple times. When I think back on Summerall, like as far as economy and efficiency, economy with words and efficiency, who was better than Pat? Yeah. You know, all to Pearson, touchdown. You know, and that that did the whole thing. What else needed to be said? And you're kind of going, why why can't I do that? But it <laughs> sounded so good, and it was eight words. I mean, you know, it takes me 20 22 to say hello. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, you have different people that have different. Like Sean McDonough. I've never worked with anybody as good as Sean when 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 there is a moment of capturing not only what happened, but the emotional level of it. You know, like I it still rings in my head at uh, uh, in in the Syracuse Yukon game when Sean said, overtime number six, yep. you know, just stuff like that. and then the 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 Michigan, Michigan State football game last year. Where that crazy punt, you know, a and, and sideways punt, and the g- a guy runs it back into the end zone, and Sean's voice was cracking, uh, and and he 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 laughs saying, "Oh man, listen to that!" And you're going, "Listen to that! That was awesome!" You know, they, like he he didn't think it was that great, and I was like, "That was that was a, one of the best things I've ever heard in my life." Um, you know, guys that have that kind of feel and. Uh, and, and are, are so talented that in the moment, um, they just knock it out of the park. Um, you know, and that's the way Shulman is, and, and, and McDonough, Torico, all those guys are just so brilliant.
1: The funniest thing about that, and it's funny you bring the, the six overtime game, um, because the three things that come to my mind are the overtime number six coming up, um, the nightmare for Paul Harris always still rings true in my head, and then the other one is when Devendorf hit the shot and Sean yelled, they will check it um and we were playing a football game against illinois i don't know six weeks ago it was the opening week of the season and we're driving down the field to try to win the game with a minute left and our quarterback got sacked and fumbled and the immediate thing that jumped out of my mind i just yelled they will check it and i just like punched myself in the leg i'm like that that one's taken um but it was it's those moments that that stick with you when i think they're done really well so it's interesting to hear you go back to those um who are your mentors in this? I mean, you mentioned guys like Pat Summerall and, and and Sean and, and other people that you've worked with, but did you have anybody you looked up to on your side of, of things?
0: Yeah, I mean, one, one of the one of the people that was really helpful to me when I first uh, uh, sort of first got started was uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Howard, who was a uh, one of the the big wheel producers at ABC, uh, back in the day when, when, you know, Monday night football was King and, uh, he gave me my first job, uh, in, in television as a, as a production assistant. And, you know, I worked with, with so many, you know, great people, uh, at ABC that were so kind to me. Uh, and, you know, Amy Smolens was, was tremendous. And, you know, folks that taught me, you know, here's, here's how you, here's how you're a pro. You know, here's how you, you, you're you're a professional. And, you know, Dave Miller at ESPN gave me my first job and uh, at Lee fitting uh, and really mentored me uh, without um, was able to kind of like a great coach was able to give you help without uh, micromanaging things. And, and I would say another one would be Lee fitting at, uh, at ESPN, who, uh, you know, used to run, uh, he used to sit in the big chair to produce college game day and was a, was a tremendous influence on me for, for how to do the job and do it right. And, uh, and then the guys that, the guys that I've worked with, I mean, you know, Sean McDonough has been, been amazing an amazing help to me, uh, as has, uh, you know, Bill Raftery and, and, uh, and Dan Schulman, and then, and then being able to work with, uh, with Dick Enberg was uh, was a, an incredible treat, and he's somebody that you know, I met Dick when I was in college when he was doing uh, when he's doing you know our games, and uh, and I got to, to spend time with him um, and and got to got to know him, uh, and he's been a tremendous influence not only for how to do the job but how to conduct yourself uh, as an example for how to conduct yourself you know off air because uh, there's no finer gentleman that's ever ever been in this business.
1: There's a uh, there's one question I want to end with, and it's uh, about as broad as it possibly gets. Uh, but I'm curious if you looked back, uh, games that you've done or moments that you've done that you're, uh, I guess, proudest of, and the Syracuse one I, I would imagine uh, is toward the top of that list. But other things that you've been a part of or seen um, that you liked um, that were amazing, just to be a part of, what still rings with you? <laughs>
0: there have been so many uh the 2005 um elite eight game between arizona and uh in illinois was uh was a, a a tremendous treat uh that that comeback by illinois at the at the um at the uh, rosemont horizon there in chicago i did that game with dick enberg uh, I was able to do uh, Dick Enberg's last college game, uh, which was uh, a, a, an incredible honor, and uh, and I, I actually did uh, Brett Musburger's last college game. Wow. So I'm probably not going to be very popular with play-by-play <laughs> people uh, because they, they might think, hey, "Is this the last one?" Um, <laughs> but I, I would say th- those, and then uh, you know, I've done, I've been involved with the NBA draft since 2003 for ESPN, and I think I think I've done every single draft that we've had. Um, and, and that's been, a uh, an incredible experience for me. And one, it's been a a growth experience because, uh, when I first started, I think, uh, you know, the, the times where I made mistakes, it wasn't so much like, you're always going to make a misjudgment here or there about thinking a player is going to be good. He's not that good. Or thinking a player is going to be not that good. He turns out to be a hall of famer. Um, but you know, the, sort of the, 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 in the right tone thing, uh, I learned a lot about that. You know, you're trying to you're trying to say something quickly and authoritatively, and sometimes you uh, you wind up uh, you know getting the tone wrong, and and that that makes the message wrong sometimes.
1: Jay, uh, I appreciate this a ton. Uh, this was it was awesome to pick your brain, and I uh, I thank you for uh, for doing it and for uh, letting me uh, into your world a little bit. And uh, I don't know what I can ever do to repay the favor, but I, I appreciate it greatly.
0: Cash is always good. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, 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 I'm only a mid-major announcer so far, so it's, it's not going to be a very large check.
0: <laughs> just for now. Just for yeah. now. That's no, fair not, enough. That's not always going to be the case.
1: Many thanks to Jay Billis for joining us here on the pod. You know, One of the other things that I think t- today or this episode uh, is helpful with, too, is how to relate to analysts you work with, particularly when you're working with new analysts. Uh, I've done that a lot in my career, uh, be it football or basketball or uh, particularly volleyball since I've been at Ball State. I've worked with a lot of people that uh, have been new to broadcasting. And the thing that a lot of people you'll run into with a lot of people that are analysts, especially when you're dealing with former athletes, is they're they're used to being coached. So if they're new to it in general, um, they're easy to, hey, this is what you do here. Hey, this is what you want here hey, if you said this this way, or instead of just saying this, describe it in this way. Um, they they kind of want that feedback a lot of times. So uh, it was interesting to talk to, to Jay today and kind of get the perspectives of uh, the things that he's figured out being an analyst and um, the feedback systems and, and what it's like getting on the same level as as the guy uh, or woman that you're working with. So uh, fun to have Jay on. And uh, hopefully it it, uh, makes me better at what I do in working with the people that I work with. And uh, hopefully it does the same for all of you as well. And hey, it relates to what Steve Jones said from Penn State last week on the podcast. Does never be afraid to work with somebody who makes you better. Um, And that goes for uh, all of us out there. Never be afraid to work with an analyst uh, that makes you better. And uh, I think... uh, Applying a lot of what we heard Jay talk about today uh, can go a long way toward uh, helping us uh, work with people that make us better, helping us make people that work with us better, and vice versa as well. So many thanks to Jay for joining us here on the podcast. Our guest next week we will go to the NHL. Dan Duva will be our guest on the podcast. He is the newest voice. Well, he's one of the newest voices in the NHL. A couple of new guys got hired this off season, uh, but he is certainly on the newest team. He is the first radio voice in the history of the Vegas Golden Knights, and Dan Duva will join us on the podcast next week. A lot of really good guests coming up also, so uh, stay tuned. We released some of those names on Twitter, uh, but looking forward to the next couple episodes of the podcast. In the meantime, it's a week until we talk to you again, so until then, so long. This has been Play by Playcast. Thanks to Jay Billis, thanks to you, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.